Welcome to Let's Talk with Sanctuary, a podcast for women in ministry and leadership. We hope you'll leave today's conversation knowing that you've found a community of women who understand the dynamics of your ministry life, in marriage, in family, and in the day-to-day. We want you to finish strong. So let's talk and let's redefine sanctuary. Welcome to Let's Talk with Sanctuary. Once again, I'm Bridget Tomlin, your host, and today I have the privilege of welcoming my own husband, Creston Tomlin, to the podcast, and hopefully you took a listen to our last episode, episode 77, featuring the incomparable Pam King as we dug into her insights about the combo of marriage and ministry. And this week, we want to come at the same topic, but from a slightly different angle, Creston and I recently celebrated our 26th anniversary of marriage and ministry. And for those of you who do not know us or haven't heard our story, we're going to share a little of that today, as well as some of the lessons we either learned early in our marriage and ministry journey together, or lessons we wish we would have learned earlier. But before we get started, let me give you a little bit of info about my guest Creston today, Reverend Creston Tomlin. He's been involved in full-time preaching and music evangelism for the past 26 years. His travels have taken him across the nation and around the world, ministering in concerts, special services, revival meetings. Having been raised in the fire of Pentecost, Creston knows the value of living a spirit-led life. God has called and placed a call upon him and hopefully myself as well to bridge the generational gap, which will propel the church into its future. Creston is an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. He combines a compassionate burden for the lost and a fervent hunger for holiness to produce powerful Pentecostal preaching. His message drives home basic principles for living the overcoming, joy-filled Christian life. And Creston is also a soulful singer who produces powerful and anointed gospel music. His repertoire covers everything from black gospel to southern gospel and everything in between. And our desire as a team of evangelists is to raise up a new generation of Pentecostals filled with the Spirit and driven by conviction. Cress, thank you so much for giving our listeners and me this time today. Welcome to Let's Talk with Sanctuary. Well, babe, I'm just honored to be here. So thankful for all that you are doing through this outlet that I believe the Lord has set up for you. And um, it is touching many people. And I'm just honored to be a part of it today to be with you. And I'm trusting that uh, something that's said today is going to be an encouragement and a blessing and bring insight to someone's life. I agree. I agree. And uh, listen, it's so much fun to get to brag on you because, you know, for uh, so many years we have been partners in ministry and um, as a part of Creston Tomlin Ministries, I feel like we have found a healthy balance. You have always been supportive of the things that God puts on my heart to do. And that's been my endeavor to do that for you as well and to make it easy for you to do what God's called you to do. And really, that's something that I hope to encourage our listeners with today is that uh, if we can make it easy on our partners to fulfill the plan of God for their lives, I know the Lord will bless that and he will bless us as individuals. So the premise of our conversation today may sound a lot like 
many conversations that you and I have shared in the car along the now countless miles. I don't know if we've ever added that up, but we've traveled over these past 26 years. And you and I have talked rather openly between us and then to other ministry couples, as well as in marriage seminars, of course, that we've taught together about the mechanics of marriage. And there are a lot of details and scenarios that are woven into a marriage, most of which can either make or break the marriage, if not handled properly. And I think that you and I can agree it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And all the little things that we have a tendency to dismiss kind of become this growing snowball that can wreak havoc over the years. And before we get into some of these lessons that we've learned through the years, I would like to ask you to share a quick version of our story, how we met, how we got together, broke up, (laughs) and got back back together again. And then maybe a little summary of our marriage from your vantage point. I'd like to hear that from you. Well, we met in uh, 1989. Well, that's dating me, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Just baby. Uh, the denomination that we're a part of, uh, that part of the ministry actually led by your dad, um, has a program that's designed to help their students, their young people, discover their talents, their abilities, and give them an opportunity to use those and then be adjudicated or judged to receive uh, helpful feedback, and uh, you and I in the seventh grade were both a part of that, and that particular day in Chickasha, Oklahoma, we met each other, and we actually went home and told our parents we were going to marry each other, Yeah. and I don't know what all they were thinking about that, but through the years, through many things like that, we developed a very good and close friendship and uh, we traveled in in uh, music and singing groups and ensembles together, ministered together, and um, that friendship developed. But then when we were going in, in our, as seniors in high school, we dated long distance and uh, both felt strongly at that time that we felt that indeed we, we saw marriage for ourselves. But uh, after uh, we graduated and we went our separate ways, we you actually kind of cut it off with me to as uh, as we were going long distance. I was going to um, a, a college in Missouri. You were going to a college in Texas. And it would have been very difficult to make all of that happen and work. And so, uh, which I believe was the Lord's will in growing us uh, individually. But then about a year and a half later, you transferred to another college that was just about 45 minutes from where I was from. And so the entire time we were gone, um, I never, you, you were in my heart. I knew and felt strongly you were the, the woman I was supposed to marry. I felt like that God had his hand on us together for his purpose and his plan. But uh, sometime during that time, I think you had kind of moved on from that, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, I spent a lot of time after you uh, moved to this college and you were living with your parents and and uh, trying to convince you that uh, this this needed to happen. And you were kind to listen, but you would just basically look at me like, I hate that for you. <laughs> uh, I would pour out my heart to you and you would just uh, look at me. And so I was getting worried. And your your mom, though, kept inviting me to dinner. Yes, and uh, your mom Pandering kept your mom your mom kept in, in uh, getting involved, and and finally, 
after a point actually took you to lunch and asked you how long you were going to wait on how long you, did you think I was going to wait on you? And, and you're like, well, I guess he's going to have to keep waiting because uh, I just don't feel that. And, and your mom actually expressed to you that she thought you were making a mistake. You need to pray about this. So over the next few weeks, of a, through a series of events, all of this came back around. And uh, we began this journey together. And then in March of uh, 97, we were engaged and then married in January of 98. And uh, we started traveling in full-time ministry the week after we got married. We were both finishing up our last semester of, uh, of our degrees, and I think I had 21 hours. You had 18. Both of us had had uh, our senior recitals and concerts, and, and we were traveling every weekend back to Oklahoma and other places to minister. And I guess that sounds crazy, but I look back and wouldn't have had it any other way. No. And the Lord just uh, has had his hand in favor on our lives and our ministry and our marriage. And as we'll get into, it's not been without some struggles. It's not been without overcoming some hard things. And But um, the Lord has been faithful. And here we are today, uh, 26 years later, still in love with each other, still fulfilling God's call on our life and with so much more ahead. Yeah, it's quite a ride. It's been quite a ride, and we're just really getting started. It's the Lord Terry's for sure, and um, you know, one of the first lessons that I believe we had to learn early on was how to not become too what I've labeled utilitarian. You know, in our ministry mm-hmm. partnership, that we lose the marriage or the romance that keeps a marriage healthy. Pam said in our last episode, she talked about how if we aren't intentional, biz- marriages can become like a business partnership as opposed to a marital relationship. And this is a biggie because, regardless of what season you're in, maritally speaking, you have to be more intentional to work away from that utilitarian vibe in your in your marriage and work towards that actual marriage side, right? And so what does it mean to be too utilitarian in marriage and ministry as a couple? Well, and this is applicable to everyone, whether they're in ministry or not, but particularly um, for ministry couples, and that's what our focus is is on mm-hmm. and anyone can benefit from this this but uh, we're uh speaking specifically here uh more specifically about the ministry and it is so easy and we've seen it we've experienced it all of us have allowed through time it to happen mm-hmm. uh to to a degree some more than others but uh it is very easy because ministry demands so much focus and I'm not saying that other other occupations and not the ministry is an occupation, but other lives, life paths, whether it be um, in business or whether you're a teacher or whatever the case, there are certain stresses, there are certain things that pull on you, but there are no there is no pull like the ministry in total because of the mental, the emotional, the physical everything that comes together to make it all happen. And ministry really is 24-7. Because of the nature of the needs of people, you never escape or get out of a place where you are not available for people who need your ministry. Because people all around us all the time are in desperation. And so we can easily, 
as a marriage couple get utilitarian and that we just are always side by side, reaching out, always side by side, leading worship, always side by side, preaching, always side by side, ministering to people, always side by side. You can go into the hospitals, uh, going side by side in planning and doing, in our case, uh, traveling to preach, putting together marriage retreats, leading worship, uh, even putting together this podcast. All of the things that we do all of the time together, if we're not careful, that encompasses who we are, and that's where all of our effort is placed. But then besides ministry partners, we are husband and wife. Mm-hmm. We're in love with each other. And there must be, there must be time to pour into each other emotionally. There must, there must be effort put into intimacy. There must be effort put into romance. There must be effort put into that which brought us together in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it can easily, that can get all of the leftovers. There must be an intentionality to that or it will not happen. Yeah, because you mentioned a lot of side by side and at some point you have to stop and look towards one yes, another. That's right. And that takes effort because the side-by-side, those efforts, those needs, as you said, are never going to not be there. If you, you know, if anyone that's been in ministry for five minutes recognize that the needs, there's never where you check all of the things off the list. There's never a time where there aren't needs that are demanding of you and you have to decide uh, what you're going to sacrifice for every yes, there's also a no. And sometimes you say yes to a lot of good things in order or say no to a lot of good things in order to say yes to all the best things. And so I think that that's so important for us to stop and recognize. And especially um, I think that I'm a little bit more built towards the tasks and and you know, being productivity, that, that high productivity is, is just kind of intuitive to me. And so even in the times when I've felt like we needed to take some time away or we needed to take uh, time to even just let's steal away for an hour for some lunch. It's like, I really can't afford to do that. And you and I, over the course of time, I think have learned early in our marriage, it was built in. We were traveling full time together. We were together a lot. Um, And then when things shifted and I was at home more and needing to stay behind while you continued to go or continued to go out while I you know, my ministry focus turned more towards our home, raising our children, those kinds of things. We had to be even more intentional. And I think that's the case for so many that are in pastoral ministry, um, whether you're the lead pastor or associate worship, whatever that is, in, and especially on the mission field. I mean, goodness, there, there's so many different um, scenarios that we could pull from. And everyone, as, as you're listening, you're hopefully considering what is it that's a hurdle to us maintaining that inward focus while also balancing the outward focus. And one thing I hear often from ministry wives, Creston, regarding their ministry marriages is that they feel unappreciated by their husbands, whether it is what they do in the home, how they lend support in the ministry, the sacrifices that they make for the calling God has placed on their family as a unit. And of course, I think there are two sides to this coin. And the side that challenges both the husband and wife to express their gratitude and recognition 
of what each one brings to the partnership and marriage, but then also the tenacity to decide I can continue to do what God has called me and us to do, whether I'm appreciated or not. So kind of give us your feedback on this. Do you have some personal examples, maybe something that you recognize as you're sitting to table often with many ministry couples as well? Well, it is it is very possible because it there is an there is something that that is in a man. There is a there is that part of him that is driven, and that is God given because there must mm-hmm. be a drive in us. There is a a drive to succeed. There's a drive to to accomplish. There's a drive to get things done. Uh, every part of us is there. There is a drive to making all of that happen, and many times that being driven causes us to be going and going and going and accomplishing and doing and getting it done. That many times we fail to recognize in that getting it done what's making it happen, hmm. because many times uh, we in getting all of these things done and in, and being getting it done well it's because that spouse has been there making everything else happen she has been behind us she has been taking care of the details she's making sure that our life and our home is in a place where we can do that and in our case we do so many things together and you do so many things that make it possible for us to fulfill our calling and me to say yes to the going and doing of what God has called us to do. And I think many times it is completely unintentional to overlook Mm -hmm. those things. And many men feel those things and have a hard time expressing those things. I meet men on a regular basis in the ministry, uh, in their their 50s, their 60s, still struggling with expressing their heart to their spouse— there are many reasons for that, their upbringing, the examples that they saw, trauma in their life, different things they've been through, uh, personality differences and things that just to some men it comes it comes easier to some to express those things than it does to others, but it doesn't make it any less important. We, we, we have to learn how. If we have a struggle in our life or a weakness or a lack in something that we want to be better at, we can find a man of God somewhere that is that has those giftings and say, listen, I need help with this. None of us are too good. Every one of us has things that we need to improve on, be better on. This is huge. When that spouse knows, it's one thing for her to know, but she needs to hear it from our mouth. She right. needs to hear those words. She needs to see the life and see it backed up by example. But there, you know as well as I do, there's nothing like looking into their eyes and saying something meaningful from your heart, an expression of gratitude for what they do. Nothing nothing can replace that. Completely agree. I think that that's so important too. Uh, I think that we will speak about this later on um, in our conversation, but I think that it's important to, to, to be um, proactive in doing that uh, about one another to other people. In conversations, you and I have been with so many couples, whether they're in the ministry or not, and and the wife will be tearing the husband down about him yes. to other people. 
or vice versa. Just making, you know, and it, it's said in humor, but generally you can kind of get the feel. This is not, they're not even just trying to be funny here. Like they're trying to say something legit and make a joke about it so it doesn't fall quite as harshly as it truthfully is. And speaking, but but in the same way that that falls harsh, uh, sharing praise or appreciation uh, for your spouse. And I think that especially in, in roles of leadership, we have to recognize that. And, and let's say, for instance, your husband is the pastor. And there, there can be opportunities. You don't need to be constantly praising your spouse to everybody all the time. But there's times to make a nod and say, I just want to say, take a moment. If you, there's something specifically that your spouse has done that has really um, impacted the ministries favorably, to be able to say, I just want to take an opportunity to thank my wife. She guys, She's really invested a lot of extra time in making this particular event happen. That is totally okay for all the reasons of what it produces in the marriage, but then also for the modeling that it gives to the husbands that are also sitting in that in that congregation to recognize my wife is worthy of my appreciation and perhaps I don't recognize everything that she does um, to make our lives work. On the other side of that, we have to address the fact that we can't be thriving on attaboys and attagirls all the time from Very our true. spouse. You know, there's been times I've had to apologize to you for, for expecting something from you I really should be asking from the Lord. That's not your job to constantly build me up in my confidence or in what God's called me to do or or even just giving me the praise or, you know, encouragement. Sometimes, as Scripture says, you got to encourage yourself, build yourselves up in this most holy faith. And so sometimes we need to, to recognize that what we're pulling on and asking of our spouse, we really need to be pulling in from our relationship with the Lord. Speak to that a little bit. Well, it goes back to, you know, we hear people say often, you know, they complete me, you complete me. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's the Lord who completes us. Right. And if our end all is what that spouse, that person thinks or feels about us, we're going to be constantly disappointed. Mm-hmm. So we have to find our identity and the and knowing and come to that reality through relationship with the Lord that He is the one that completes us. He is the one that made us. He is the one who bought us with his blood, so therefore we are his, we belong to him. Yes, and so sometimes when I have found myself to be truth, truly lacking, I can't put that burden on you to fill in all the gaps. I, it means I have not been spending enough time with the Lord, and i got to get back in my prayer closet and find my source to be who my creator is supposed to be to me. Throughout the month of February, you'll discover the unique opportunity to connect with ministry wives who live and serve near you through an outlet Sanctuary provides called Let's Connect. Let's Connect events are simply lunch, brunch, or dinner gatherings where ministry wives get together, enjoy some laughs and conversation, and break off the lie of isolation that often leads to destruction in ministry families. Stop by our site to learn about the events currently being held throughout the month of February don't see one near you, reach out to find out how easy it is to host a Let's Connect in your community. We promote these events four times each year, and I know you're going to benefit from intentional connection throughout 2024. Stop by Sanctuary through the link in today's show notes. So let's talk a little bit about the schedule 
and boundaries for your time. This was something that contributed to our greatest challenges through the years, especially in the transition from one leg or season of our life to the next. And we've often referenced years 7, 14, and 21 as being our most challenging years of marriage. I'm not sure why it came in increments of (laughs) 7. But it's just how it happened. But looking back, I see that the reason those years were particularly challenging had much to do with new elements thrown into the mix, like having another child or adjusting to a shift in the roles in which we served. Now, you and I have, as a unit, been in the same vein of ministry for all 26 years of our marriage, but, you know, with the exception of the second year of marriage, and we won't even... um, really spend too much time talking about that second year. I feel we, we've we often referred to it as the year we miss God, you know, as we got out of one lane of ministry to do another lane of ministry and, and discovered that wasn't really where we were supposed to be, got back where we were supposed we to be. We learned a lot. We did learn a lot. But roughly 99% of our marriage and ministry has been built around full-time evangelistic ministry. So travel and creating a calendar that balances ministry and family obligations has been a strategic and conglomerative effort. And I think that this can be um, understood and applicable regardless of what lane of ministry or what vein of occupation you are in. Talk about the challenges of determining the scheduling boundaries in married, ministerial, and then family life. Well, this has and is and will be, I believe, forever the biggest challenge, the greatest challenge that that we face for our lives because everything in our life revolves around ministry schedule because of itinerant ministry. You're traveling to fulfill those ministry opportunities. Mm-hmm. And in our case, that can be weekends, that can be several days. If it's, you know, like missions, missions work, um, more revival-focused ministry for days at a time, um, the traveling there, the traveling back, um, all, and then in the midst of all of that, you have, you have your spouse, your, your children, their schedules, school, um, the administrative the, part minis- of the ministry, the administrative, that we fit in somewhere in many between. Many people don't see all of that, but you know, we, we have a full functioning ministry office that requires uh, daily attention in many areas of oversight, and a lot of people don't see that. But that goes on all of the time, and uh, and then of course being faithful to our home churches and. And, and you know, our kids in youth ministry and, and now, you know, one in college and and uh, all of the, the the regular life responsibilities. And then uh, being, being uh, having the ability to properly place all of those things. And we know it's never going to be perfect. But it took us longer than it should have <laughs> to come up with some basic... Um, laws, if you will, of how Mm -hmm. our home was going to, rules of how our home and ministry was going to work as far as scheduling. And uh, it it has been and is a continual work in progress. We are much farther down the road than we ever were Mm -hmm. before. And it has made a huge impact on on our lives. Agreed. But, uh, you know, in the type of ministry that we have and operate in, I can get calls and texts up until late in the night about people inquiring about uh, 
ministry opportunities and and our willingness to come and all the different invitations and things. And so I've I've had to learn that, you know what, I can respond to that tomorrow. I can I can get back to those things to so to placing some 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 pretty hard and fast uh, rules outside of the Lord's specifically leading us. We feel to do something different than we we really do try to keep those. Uh, but you must you must have boundaries, or everyone else will get the attention and your family will get the leftovers. Because there's always another revival. There's always another church. There's always another place that needs a worship leader. There's always another. There's always another need. There's always another pastor in crisis. It's a big part of our ministry too. Is we listen and pray with and become a, a sounding board for pastors. And there's never an end to all of the, the little birds in the nest that need to be fed and mm-hmm. that need that need that need to be heard and and have a need, but. God gave me my wife and God gave me that family and they are a priority. And so there comes a time when I have to shut off and close the door on the baby birds Mm -hmm. so that I can be what I need to be for my wife and children. Yeah, and that can be really challenging to do. And there's got to be a meeting place somewhere because it's not, uh, there are are definite times and, and you and I have had that conversation only even recently where, um, you know, where you will be traveling and uh, when you're gone, I genuinely, of course, it's been the nature of our lives for many years. So this is not a new experience. We've we've figured out some dynamics on how to, and I feel like the Lord has helped me to be able to acclimate to doing life when you are away and then doing life when you are home. And that's a pendulum swift, uh, shift that, um, that, our children and I make, as you do as well. But uh, I, I remember even recently saying, listen, I don't expect anything from you in the way of day-to-day in this house when you are traveling. But when you are home, I do need you to do X, Y, and Z. I do need you to, and then fill in the blank. And we've had to reassess that you know, but then there's also the part when you're out of town and I know that you're involved in ministry where I'm not going to call you every time some kind of problem arises. You know, I'm going to release you to do what God's called you to do during that time. And unless it's um, an emergency, all of that can wait. I don't have to call or text you right then in order to disturb or to distract what you are on assignment to do. And so that's a, a, on at least something that I've intentionally tried to do on my side is to protect the time that God has sent you on assignment away so that I'm not disturbing you when you're supposed to be studying. I'm not disturbing you or trying to, you know, you get off the platform after you've preached and poured your heart out and prayed with hundreds of people. And then your first, you pick up your phone and the first thing is a text message from me telling you, you need to take care of this, this, and this. You know, being able to be respectful of those boundaries is so important and being able to release you. I know that was something that my mom used to always say, and it's our family's calling to be a part of this ministry. And our part is to release your daddy into the work that God has called him to do. And there has to be a balance for sure. All right, so communication and conflict resolution. That's always going to come up when you go to a marriage conference, right? How do we communicate better? How do we resolve our conflicts? But they are still an ongoing 
um, obstacle to a healthy, happy marriage. And so let's talk about maybe some of our mistakes along the way as opposed to the outcome of a healthier more proactive approach. What are some of the things that perhaps when you look back on 26 years, even even the last year perhaps, of things that we've been working on towards healthier communication and conflict resolution? I think that men in general struggle more with communication. I don't think it comes as natural as it does for for our wives. And we're just getting up and going and doing what we what we had planned or ministry or this errand or that errand and we look at many things like that as just daily life as just taking care of business it's not it's uneventful it's nothing earth shattering it's just handling handling things and so um we have a tendency sometimes to just go and take care of things and just do things uh, and not communicate the details about that and what we're doing and what we've been doing or where we've been. And I think that for women, our ability and willingness to work hard at communicating our whereabouts, our where we were at this time, what we did, the details of things, because I am different than you and that in our personal life, I'm an early riser. And so I, I'm up, I'm out. For those I have, I have horses, so I, I'm out to take care of them. Usually early in the morning, get them going. Uh, I'll go to the post office or to the bank, and, and and a lot of that is done before you even uh, are are up and paying much of attention, or, you, or you're just you're really not thinking about your up having tea, thinking about your day. And putting it all together, I mean, we have kids in school, and you, we, you get up. And I'm just saying, but you, I, I'm usually, especially in the summertime, up a long time before, <laughs> before you, and so we have. Uh, so I will have done many times several things before it's even very late in the morning, and it's important to you and important to our wives that we can kind of account for and are wanting our wives to understand where we've been, what we've been doing. And it's not because they don't trust us. It's because they want to know what's been going on with us. But it builds trust when we're not defensive about that and we're open about our daily schedules and where we're going and what we're doing and what we did here and what we did there and uh, why we did that. And, and because, uh, but the truth is, in many cases, that's how uh, opportunities can arise that be- can become temptations or other things that, and we have to, and so it helps us too to be accountable in all of those areas. And I, early on, I was not very good at all. I it, it just, I would just go take care of things and and I just go on about, it was just taking care of business and wasn't something I, I sensed the need I need to share about, but but after you commute, I, I, I feel like I've done a lot better job these past several years in particular of expressing to you all of those details because it is important and I understand that. Yeah, I think for most women, it brings a measure of peace for there to be an understanding and it does help us to connect to our our mates in a deeper way. It may seem like it's frivolous and surface, but it's a matter of knowing 
your day to day. I think that it's um, it's something I, I don't know. You and I've talked about this. You know, sometimes you can be at a restaurant and you can look around and you see the different couples or different groups of people sitting at a table um, in the restaurant. And sometimes you see couples that are sitting there and they don't have anything else to say to each other. Are they all they're looking at their phones the entire time they're there? Yeah. And I've said to you before, and we've agreed on this, I don't ever want to be a couple that has nothing left to say. Sometimes that means we have to do something that we've never done before. You know, you've heard that adage, mm-hmm. if you to get something you've never done or never had, you have to do something you've never done before. That means creating new opportunities for fresh experiences to share, whether it is sharing together or, um, you know, when you get home, from, let's say, for our pastor friends, he comes home from the, the office, you come home from your job, uh, ministry wife, if you're working outside of the home or you've been home with the children or whatever it is, you've been living separate lives throughout the day, you got to give him room to take a deep breath when he walks in the door. He doesn't want to be um, machine gun fired with questions, pummeled with questions. But then also, sir, taking the time and and pulling from your resources in order to be able to share something from your day. Because years can go by and you don't really understand the mechanics of what has gone into your spouse's life. Maybe you're sleeping under the same roof and going to the same family events and yet still not really understanding the day-to-day. And even in, in the nature of our lives now that you're traveling We've been doing this for a number of years, of course, now more than a decade where you're going out more frequently without me. I'm going to want to know what's going on out there. What's what's happening in the ministry that I'm sacrificing for? Right. Who'd you talk to today? Did you lead somebody to Jesus? Tell me about what happened in the altars. What'd you preach about tonight? Those kinds of things. And and hopefully you're going to want to know what's going on in the family life that you're missing. Those kinds of things, the conversation. And then we talked a little bit about this in the last conversation with Pam in regards to conflict resolution. She talked very explicitly about strife and submission and how to manage anger, that anger is going to be present, but you can't have the address the conflicts in the midst of the conflict. You do need to be talking about those things, though, pretty openly so that those conflicts can be handled in a healthy, healthy way. And it's really, at that point, more maintenance than emergency repair. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I know we wanted to talk about finances a little bit today, and I think that is something we should probably address further down the road. But before we go, I want to address the inevitable subject of transitions. And you and I are going through an unavoidable series of transitions right now. Even on our own, we have aging parents. My father passed away unexpectedly in January of 2023. We just moved our oldest daughter away to college a few weeks ago. And now we have about four years or so ahead of us before we're going to be technically considered Empty nesters. And we're staring the 50s decade in the face as we continue to age. And I believe that it is through transitions that the enemy knocks many off course as they're a little kind of unsteady on their feet, so to speak, from one lane to the next. And what are some nuggets of wisdom that you can share based on the experiences that we've shared, times that we did it right, and maybe others when we struggled to navigate transition? Well, it is always in uh, 
the transition times that our enemy heightens his onslaught to derail us. Mm -hmm. Even throughout the year, it's in, in the transitions from the seasons, from winter to spring, spring to summer, summer to fall. There's always a heightened uh, attack of the enemy in in the world, in our lives, mm -hmm. everywhere. Sure. He, he work. He he. We always always sense. We, we we sense that, and that is a fact. And same in our in the transitions of our life, uh, from moving from uh, you know from being a teenager into being an adult, and then from adult to middle age, and then middle age into those the elder years. There's always challenges in those transitions because each one of those can bring different kinds of challenges that another one of the seasons may not have. And generally, you're not having health concerns as a general rule moving from your, your teenage years into young adulthood. But later on, middle age to into the, your elderly years, many times health issues become a, become very real. Uh, just, just, just as an example, we... And so the same same is with our marriage, because as we go through life, uh, we face different challenges in different seasons, and we don't we don't know what all those are going to be, and we all can face things that can just take the, our breath away, and uh, even just what you said right now with moving our oldest daughter to college and you having lost your dad, and. Uh, dealing with our parents that are aging and all of the different challenges that come with that. Um, the uh, transitioning now, I mean, from it's hard to even say. I mean, I don't, you, you never see yourself as the age you are, but I mean, I'm definitely middle aged. <laughs> and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm just two years from, from 50. And the needs of my contemporaries in ministry, the needs of the church as a whole, the condition of our world that's ever-changing, but there is just in the past even few short months, there's been another transition from the condition of the world and the need of the gospel, and we feel all of these things. And many times we wear it so heavily, and it can greatly affect our marriage because they're walking with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, many times we try to handle these things on our own, and we, we can uh, alienate the one who's walking beside us. True. And sometimes feeling as though we don't know what to say, what to do to bring comfort, what what to do to bring the help that they need. And uh, feeling what you're feeling sometimes, we have a tendency to just get in a hole and hibernate and to shut off or push push away that one that's trying to walk with us to help us. And it can cause alienation and there we, we find that even the most the highest percentage of moral failures with men in the ministry is between fifty and sixty five. Yeah. And because many times things that are going on with their spouse physically, things that are going on in the transitions of our lives are heaviest at that time. And we can easily look outward or want to reach out to something else to fill that void and instead of it being where it always has to be, the rock of ages, the Lord. Mm. And so uh, transitions, 
is something that needs to be taught. It needs to be preached because this is the reality of life. And it is in these transitions where people are losing their marriages. They're losing their relationship with God. They're losing the relationships in so many ways because it is in these particular times that, and it's in, been in transitions, and as we mentioned earlier, our seventh year, our 14th year, our 21st year, as you say, we didn't plan for it to be in sevens, but also each one of those were the years that God expanded our ministry substantially in every one of those years True. to a different place, more responsibility. Uh, more souls, more finances to steward, all, more opportunity. All of that came, and when those come, you feel the pressure of that too. Mm-hmm. With it, with you feel the responsibility, and so with each of that is growing pains that we work through, and then we would man learn to manage that, and then the next leap would come from the Lord, and we would have to learn to manage that and lean on Him, and and uh, we're involved even now in another leap. Yeah. And what he's asking us to do and responsibility. So uh, we have to learn. I don't say that we ever master transitions, but we have to sit at the feet of the master of them. Mm. And we have to we have to walk with him and we have to to become humble before him and understand that we cannot make the transition without walking with him so that we can also be what we need to be for those that mean the most to us. That's so so good. And I think that it's, it to your point, just talking about the growing pains. A lot of times we think transitions is just transition maybe from one season to another, and it is. But a lot of times we have to recognize it is growing pains. So it's something where we can be growing towards or we can show up and be ill-equipped. And both, you know, one is obviously better than the other. And, and stopping and recognizing, though, what it is is step number one. Why are we frustrated right now? This has always worked for us before. Why am I Why am I all of a sudden, nothing has really happened and I'm really irritated with my spouse. I don't even really like this anymore. And it's in those moments that if we don't stop and recognize it for what it is, we can easily over, you know, kind of overcorrect, like you're driving a car, overcorrect and then end in total sabotage as opposed to reassessing what are the situations right around here. And I think that those are also really key. One of the things I feel like, Creston, that you and I have learned to help us with in transition is pulling someone else into the mix. Whether that be with another couple or you with another man who's maybe one season ahead of you, me with a woman who's a season ahead of me. Or even like there's been times we've had couples that we both, we trusted both partners to come and sit in our home. Yes. And we've, we've talked, I mean, Jim and Pam were one of those um, couples that we've had. We've, we've had those conversations with each of our parents at different times and said, okay, this is really frustrating for us right now. Or we are feeling a little unsteady on our feet because we've never been here before. And it's so, so important to stop, assess what's really happening, and then bring some people in if necessary. But as certainly, uh, assuredly, having those conversations with the Lord and having those conversations with the Lord together with your spouse. Yes. Uh, you and I even just uh, last night, 
we, we, we were recognizing the, the weights of some things that are weighing on us, some decisions that we've got to make, some situations that feel like they're beyond our control. And we talked it out, but then we both stopped and said, okay, let's pray about this. We can't afford to let ourselves get caught up in the anxiety or the worry of this or scrambling for a solution. We have to stop and let the Holy Spirit go ahead of us and to reveal to us what the next step should be. And there's a peace that comes in that, even in the discomfort. Without a doubt. And, you know, really two things quickly. When Joshua took the leadership role after Moses died, he is instantly giving direct, given direction by God to assemble the children of Israel and to that they're in three days they're going to cross the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Now the Jordan, the Bible says, was was the time of harvest. It was swollen. It was way outside its banks. So not only was it a river, it was a a swollen river. Mm-hmm. And and God said, "You're going to cross this." And so it's always can be it can be very scary when you're looking at a swollen river that you've never crossed before that you've never done it this way before and God is asking you to trust him again to do something yeah. going into a new season a new time a new ministry a new direction and it's it's new new water is scary mm-hmm. because we're not familiar with it and uh, so and, and so it's natural to to feel those things but when Joshua told those priests to start walking toward the water, as soon as the big toe of that priest hit it, the water immediately began to, to move. And it, it, it went way... The Lord, when he does something, he sh- when he shows us something, he does it right. And he proves to us that not only did the water move back where they could cross on dry ground, but it, it went like 15 miles back. Mm. Yeah. The Lord was because it takes a lot of room to get that many people across. But right. the, Lord, the Lord was saying, "I've got this. I told you to move toward that. I'm not going to tell you to do something. I'm not. I'm not going to supply for or be there for or to show the way or to prove to you that I'm not in this with you. I'm going ahead of you. So we can know that in every transition, when God has told us something, He is going to be faithful and seeing it come to pass. And the second thing is. Uh, many times we try to drag people with us that the Lord's trying to move us away from into the next season God has for us. We're trying to make sure we take them with us. And sometimes it's like uh, Abraham taking Isaac on up to Mount Moriah. He he told everybody else, you need to stay here. I and the lad, I and the boy are going to go up. Sometimes you can't take everybody with you to where God's taking you. And sometimes that makes transitions very difficult when we're insistent on taking people the Lord is trying to cull out of our lives so he can take us where he wants us. Absolutely. That's a good word. Before we go, I just want to give you a chance, Crescent, to talk quickly about the gift of the evangelist. There aren't many men and women out there now in the 21st century serving in this fivefold ministry gift, which is that of the evangelist. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Why do you think that is? And how do we remedy that? You and I both have been feeling this weighted burden as of late, more so even than before about the generation that's coming up behind us and their 
having, first of all, the opportunity to acknowledge a call of God on their lives, but then also how can they um, respond to the call to evangelism when things are at the status that they are today? Well, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 4 that it takes all five of the ministry gifts to bring the body to maturity. It takes the pastor. It takes the, the gift of the teacher. It takes the gift of the apostle, of the prophet, and the evangelist. Now, there is a special anointing on the gift of the evangelist for the purpose of bringing in the lost. And that evangelistic gift that partners with the pastor of the local church and in crusades and missions work, you'll find that, as a general rule, the number of those that are end up giving their lives to Christ is a result of that gift in operation of the Holy Spirit working through and on that gift. That is its purpose. And that the need of that gift in operation is greater now than it's ever been before. And there has been a trend that, uh, that kind of moved away from fivefold ministry in the past several years. And there's, there's lots of reasons for that. But there needs to be a fresh resurrection and I preached about it where I was in ministry this past Sunday, of those gifts bursting out and busting out of this generation, making themselves available mm. to operate in those gifts. And our pastors need to be promoting it. They need to be teaching and preaching on it. They need to be, they need, need to be pouring into this generation for their understanding and their opportunity for them to make themselves available for the Lord to use them. Uh, in the gifts of the Spirit and in these gifts in operation. and uh, But there needs to be a resurrection of the gift of the evangelist. They're, they have faded in, as a whole. From we, wish, we just don't see as near that evangelism happening in that call on a person's life. On a, we, we don't see it like we used to see it. Every one of us are called to be witnesses. Sure. Every one of us are called to take the gospel. But there is an anointing upon that gift of dedicating your life for that purpose. And there, without an emphasis on it, it will not happen. True. It will not happen by accident. And there must be an emphasis on it and then opportunity given to respond and opportunities. Our pastors must give our people opportunity and our young people opportunity to seek the face of God together for that gift to be resurrected. Well, I agree, and I, th I definitely want to take this opportunity to say I see that uh, flourishing in your life. Personally, I've watched it with a front row seat in that you uh, you have a heart to win souls, whether it's at the dry cleaners drive through or, uh, you know, when you're out riding the horses with someone else or if you are behind a pulpit, you know, that, that that call, that drive to win the lost is a part that is just drilled into who you are. And, uh, you know, God's will, we be constantly fanning that flame and calling that forward from the generation behind us. It's something that is very, very important. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me about this. And, uh, you know, Creston has the privilege of uh, sitting and listening to me talk a lot. 
<laughs> so for him to give this hour to record him talking to me, such a privilege. And uh, we've spent a lot of hours on the road talking about different things, some of them of this grand importance and others just so obsolete, but always a privilege and uh, love doing this life with you. Thank you so much to our listeners for entrusting us. And again, I want to take uh, this uh, opportunity to encourage you to go back seasons one through three. We will have those listed in the show notes today, several episodes that you can go back and draw from the wisdom expertise of so many of our guests that we featured on this very subject. Be blessed. We'll see you in two weeks. Are you enjoying today's conversation on marriage? At Let's Talk With Sanctuary, we have provided several episodes in the past three seasons on this same subject, featuring a variety of guests who have many decades of experience and expertise on the dynamic combination of marriage and ministry. Take some time throughout this month to dig deeper and commit to listening to every single episode. I'll provide the feature episodes on marriage in today's show notes for your easy reference.